The Women of Ill Repute, with your hosts, Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. Wendy, we talk a lot about fearless and funny women because that's what we are all about, but we don't really give enough credit to the fearless and funny men out there. Yeah, but you know, is it really fair? Because, I don't know, I think it's easier for men to be fearless, you know, because of the patriarchy and, and all of that. Yeah, the patriarchy and all that. Yes, but it's still, I don't care what gender you are, it's still pretty scary for everyone and anyone in in these difficult times. I mean, uh, making jokes about depression and abortion and the homeless, that's not easy. Maureen, don't, don't you mean what? people who are homeless? Oh, people, exactly. You have to be so careful. People are so cautious. People are so easily offended. Well, you can argue that there's nothing funny about, I don't know, about being homeless or being depressed or... Needing an abortion? I know. I would maintain it's not the it's not the topic. It's the way it's addressed. Like the plumber who was depressed. Uh oh. I... <laughs> what about the plumber? He was going through. He was going through a lot of shit. Okay. <laughs> Look, at least I am trying. I am trying to push the boundary. Um. Well, some things are left to the pros. Uh, John Doerr is a pro. Uh, he's an actor. He's a writer from Ottawa. His stand-up has landed him on shows like. Uh, uh, Conan, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, uh, Just for Laughs. He's done a lot of stuff with Just for Laughs. He also created and, and starred in a series called Humor Resources, uh, in which he played a version of himself as an HR manager uh, in the comedy industry. The comedy industry could use an HR manager. John is a boundary pusher. He'll find a way to make you laugh about anything or be deeply offended if that's the way you roll. Uh, people love him or they hate him, but they mostly love him because, in fact, he just won this year's Juno Award for Best Comedy Album. So I'm wondering, is that why he now lives in Juneau, Alaska? Do you, do you think he moved there to get... Oh, yeah. Say hello to John Doerr. Hello. Hey, John. How are you? Where are you? Well, right now I'm in St. John's, Newfoundland. You couldn't get further from Juneau, Alaska. I'm on the road. I'm about to tell some jokes in uh, the beautiful city of St. John's, Newfoundland. Are, are you, so you're on tour and it's funny. St. John strikes me as a funny town. It sounds like it would be an easier audience there than say, than say Regina. Although Regina is pretty funny. <laughs> I don't know if, um, yeah, I kind of, I think all audiences are about the same across Canada, in my opinion. Yeah, that's my feeling. I mean, St. John's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good time. Um, And I think, yeah, they are probably pretty laid back with their approach. They're definitely grateful. So you have that advantage when you get on stage, they're grateful for you being here. Yeah. Um, So that I appreciate. They must be really grateful in Juneau. Do you know Alaska? Like what? Like you're like a you're like a big deal. You're a star. I, I read somewhere you're a legend, which means you're a big deal. Like what are you doing in Juneau? Or is it just about winning the Juno prize? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that uh, I don't feel like I'm a big deal. I definitely don't know. Uh, it depends what you define a star as but uh i definitely have never felt that way i think i've always kind of flown a little bit under the radar um but juno alaska i live there because i made a mistake i followed my heart instead of following my brain and that's a very risky thing to do i was living in los angeles uh for about 10 years then i was doing a show up in fairbanks alaska and after that show there was a human woman in the audience named christina and our eyes met 
And uh, we spent the next four days together traveling around Fairbanks, Alaska, uh, going to dinner, having lunch, having wonderful conversations. And uh, something had to give after we, you know, visited one another and courted one another. And so I went up to uh, I went up to Juneau, Alaska, gave up my beautiful life of drinking Miller Lite at 10 a.m. with my friends in Los Angeles under a palm tree. And I gave that up to move in with Christina and her daughter, four and a half year old daughter, Emma, at that time. So, yeah, that's why I moved to Juneau. You're like you're well, you're a dad to her kid, but you're you're a dad of another infant, too. That's true. I, I, w- I was a bonus dad. I thought that's all I needed. I moved to Juneau, Alaska. I said to my partner, that's all we need. We've got a built-in family here. Uh, Emma's getting older. We can see the future. Uh, and then, boom, towards the end of the pandemic, although that's a, a weird statement to make, um, but around 2021, um, she let me know that she was indeed pregnant. Um, the IUD failed us. Uh-oh. <laughs> Let's uh, let's talk about how you how you talk about this on stage. First of all, I love how Emma's become you know your best friend is now I guess a six year old, and uh, the comment the conversations that ensue with that, um, and also your unwillingness to have your, your initial unwillingness to to become a, a biological father yourself. You talk about that very openly, and I think some people are like, "Ooh, you would actually say that 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 this is the result of a failure of birth control." Well, yeah, I mean, if we well, we were using birth control. Um, so well, that it didn't work. One, exactly. But it says one thing. We definitely were not. Well, yeah, we were having conversations. Um, and I was I, I was I was definitely re- I was resisting the idea of having a child. And um, we didn't think this would ever be a real conversation until we uh, got rid of said birth control. Um but again, yes, it failed us, and uh, we ended up having a child, something that I never thought I wanted. is now something I know I can never live without. So uh, I've definitely, obviously, come 180 degrees. But yeah, I was not planning on having a child. Uh, when you did your special, John, you were talking about how some lady came up to you after about making jokes about abortion. You can't make abortion jokes. Only women can make abortion jokes. So I, I, I'm wondering what your thinking was behind that. What my thinking was behind that particular joke that I tell? Yeah. Well, I like to talk about, I mean, that joke to me is more about the conversation of abortion. Um, so, um yeah, I mean, it is some. It is a conversation that people people seem to have, and do men have a right to really comment on abortion? It's definitely, in my opinion, a woman's issue. Um, and uh, but, pardon me, <laughs> but but the conversation is still there. So I think the joke is just walking the line and talking about something very well. I'm being very facetious, you know. I'm talking about something with that's attached immediately uh, to uh, great there's a lot of intensity to that word and it means a lot to a lot of people. And it's a very serious subject matter. So immediately I'm attracted to it for comedic purposes. Um, so yeah, I like to talk about how um, I, that's my joke and uh, I've decided to keep it. And then it, I'm pro joke. And then it really, to me, it lets the audience still doesn't know what my politics are surrounding the topic because <laughs> am I pro joke? What does that mean? You're pro joke. Pro choice or pro life. I still don't think the politics are clear at the end of that joke. So it's fun to just kind of wade into those waters and then don't go any deeper. Speaking of wading into those waters. So your fishing bit uh, is, you know, 
is absolutely one of the funniest things I have ever seen and shows that you're as much of an actor as, as a comedian. Um, but that's one of your easier uh, pieces to perform. And I would imagine uh, because people are delighted. It's I'm really impressed by your risky jokes. I mean, you start one with a joke about child leukemia and you realize when you do that, all bets are off now. Uh, and you manage to get, I mean, you get a lot of those, Oh, um, sounds, but you get, you get the laugh, you land the joke. And, uh, that's gotta be like walking a tightrope. Yes. And I'll be honest with you in hindsight, I, uh, I am not a, a fan of that joke. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't think it's a joke. I would, I would not tell that joke today. Um, and yeah, I know the joke you're referring to. And the only time I've, that's, I know where that joke's from. You must, that's the Conan O'Brien. You must've watched it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, workshopping the joke. That yeah. is the only time I've th- recorded that joke. And uh, I was apprehensive about about doing that joke. I spoke to the booker uh, of the Conan show about it. And I said, this is the one joke I'd like to take out. The only reason I need a heavy joke right there is because I, at the end, I, you know, I, I'm able to, yeah, I'm able to really, I need something horrible to happen in order for me to move on to the next joke. But in hindsight, I don't think I would ever tell that joke again. That's interesting. Yeah, it's too it's too heavy, and I received uh, a lot of emails afterwards. People found me and <laughs> really? contacted me. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I'm not on Facebook anymore, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah, oh, and, I bet. Uh, and uh, you know, I thought about it a lot, and the joke did not need to be a, about that. It could have I could have approached that joke a lot differently. So it is one of the re- regrets I have. Huh. Because it, it's just a joke. It's not. It's not a true story. It's not like I'm telling my own story of uh, of child leukemia. Um, so, yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not a joke I'd tell again. It's not your own joke. Yes, it's not my own. I find it really interesting. Uh, I mean, we sort of uh, referred to it in the intro to you about how you've got to be really careful uh, and in your with with words and uh, in your routine, you do something about how uh, you're not supposed to say a homeless person. You're supposed to say a person who is homeless. Um, so how do you I'm trying to figure out whether you're zany or whether you're meaningful or I, I guess you're both, right? I mean, it's, uh, and how do you how do you I, I mean, you've talked about the future of comedy and that it was all going to be great after COVID. Um, well, here we are. I mean, COVID is still around, but we're not worried about it in the same way. Like, how do you find the how do you find the line between being funny and what's not funny, like like leukemia, you you wouldn't do that joke now. Now, where 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 in now in this this time, where do you draw the line? Because I think there seemed to be a time where there was no line, and now you say that there is. I don't. Well, I, th- I think that's subjective. It's personal to every comedian, every person. Um, I don't know where I draw that line. I just know. Okay, I, I mean, I like to point out inconsistencies or uh, ironies in the world or in the way people discuss topics. So my, my partner, Christina, uh, fiance, I need to start saying fiance. Fiance. (laughs) Um, she works for the Alaska network on domestic violence and sexual assault. She, uh, her passion and her job is to influence policy at the state and federal level to make the world a better place for marginalized communities and groups. She's a passionate human being and social justice causes words mattering is her whole life. Hmm. And then there's me, the person who thinks, what about free speech? 
um, and we collide a lot. So normally, here's where I gauge the line. If it offends Christina, then I'm doing something right. (laughs) 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 Which is not absolutely true, but there's there's some truth to that um, because we'll get into a conversation about a lot of these, a lot of these topics. And uh, sometimes we'll be in an argument. We'll be at each other's throats. We're in the worst domestic argument possible. We're in the kitchen. We are slinging insults at one another. We've gotten to a place that no couple wants to get to. And the horrible things we're saying to one another, for instance, she was delegating responsibilities to me. Now, imagine this is a, a domestic dispute between two people. Um, they've had uh, no sleep. They've got the kid off to school. The, the other kid's finally down for a nap. They're at each other's throats. And she's delegating responsibilities to me in a way that I found to be. She was a tyrannical dictator. So I said, I said, I said oh, I'll get right to it, Hitler. To which she said, okay. you do not say that in this house. You do not say that in this house. To which I said, oh, now you're a word Nazi. So uh, I'm, oh. I'm deliberately trying to poke her and irritate her because that is, you know, that is the language uh, we're using at the moment. But now to me, that's a conversation that would make sense. And yes, of course, I'm not celebrating anything about Hitler or the Nazis, but I'm using those words, which are extreme in a domestic situation. So they don't fit and they're exaggerations, but I think something like that is perfectly acceptable. But in that moment, Christina definitely does not want me to use, not even with her, but at any point, at any time in life, I am not to call anyone Hitler, even if I'm exaggerating. I know where the line is, I think, and you definitely know when you cross it because you hear about it, but sometimes it's okay to cross it. Yeah. It depends on who's responding. So if my girlfriend's uh, offended, then I continue, fiance, then I continue to, uh, then I know I'm going down the right road. So she's still going to marry you. This, this is good. Hey, who knows? <laughs> who knows what happens? Who knows what the next conversation is? I often wonder, I wonder if we are going to continue and, and go through with this, uh, this wedding. Well, you know, Godspeed, because it's it's a crapshoot for anybody. The women of ill repute. So I found a quote of you. I don't know where. I watched all kinds of things that you did, and uh, I think you're really funny and whatever. Um, but in one of them, you said that your dream is for the business of comedy, the employees of comedy, and the customers of comedy to all exist in one giant room and not be offended. Is that ever going to happen? I mean, you've, you've spoken about how after COVID there was going to be this whole world. We can talk about how much things have changed or not changed afterwards. But but is that ever going to happen where people are not, where Christine is not offended and you're not being offensive? <laughs> no, of course not. Um, yeah, that would have been, I would have been in character. That quote is from my, the character of John Doerr, human resources manager for stand-up comedians, who is uh, a fool. He's an idiot who thinks that uh, he there should be uh, you know one big tent for comedians to perform under, and there is a set of rules they follow so that everyone laughs and is not offended. That's the foolish dream, the idealistic world that HR manager John Doerr imagines. Uh, but no, of course not. That's not possible, and uh, it shouldn't be possible. I mean, yeah, I think comedy, yeah, comedy is going to be interesting for the next little while. It is interesting because so many people are are being stifled. I look at stuff that I wrote 10 years ago. I watch, like you said, the, the your, your situation on Conan. I watch other comedians and writers, and I think, God, how did we get away with that? 
And my question to you now is, is it better that we can't get get away with it or is it worse? I don't, I don't live or perform thinking, what can I get away with? So I don't think much has changed, to be honest with you. I think if anything, uh, it's a little more exciting to get out there and tell these jokes um, because it's fun to figure out where that line is and what offends people. And if you can justify what you're saying and your argument is good, then yeah, I think you should, you should do it. But I really don't think much has changed, at least for me. I'll find out soon. That's for sure. Someone might have, <laughs> might take issue with something I have to say. But is there something in particular you feel like, like for instance, you said you've gone back and looked at some of the things you've said. Is there something in particular that you said or did that uh, offended? Oh my God, John! If you look at some of the stuff that I did twenty years ago, is it's homophobic, which I'm not, but I did it to get a laugh, or you know, I'm kind of ashamed because I I actually would say things because they were funny, not because I really believe them. Right. Um, I mean, in comedy, you don't have to believe what you're saying. Yeah. I, I mean, if it's going for the cheap, that's why they call it a cheap laugh. Right. You're just saying it because someone's going to laugh at it, not because there's any real meaning or belief behind it. So yeah, I did that. I try not to do that anymore because it's not actually, it doesn't even represent how I feel. Right. I do think that people are, I think there are people who in, in our case, listen to podcasts or listen to the radio or go to, or even go to comedy shows looking to be offended. Possibly, yeah. Back at uh, you know as far back as high school when everybody was doing homophobic jokes, and I don't know. I think I think it's good that we're more aware. I think it's good that we keep listening. Um, I I do I agree with everybody or whoever is making the argument that uh, free speech is important too. Um, but but I think it's good that we're putting a new lens on that and we're not just speaking to people who are going to think that our jokes are funny. So, I agree. But line somewhere is <laughs> finding that line. Yeah, I, I agree. But I don't think everyone was telling homophobic jokes. I know, no. but, but I, I understand what you're saying. It was, yeah. If you, especially if you go back and look at like eighties, uh, you know, stand up specials like Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy's delirious is a great example, you know, lots of funny in yeah. that special. However, yeah, there's some highly cancelable offenses um, that you could point to in that in that set, talking about um, AIDS and homosexuality um, in a way that created stere- that harmful stereotypes were definitely generated and being laughed at. Um, yeah, I think it's we're definitely we're 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 mindful of othering people, which is good. Um, I think we're. We're slowly, and it's still here, but we're, it's slowly not uh, just a heterosexual, uh, nor, hetero, heteronormative way of looking at the world. God, these words are now in my vocabulary. Um, I know. But, um, which, is, which is healthy, which is good. And, um, yeah, Wendy, I think, that, I think that's what Wendy was getting at. Was, uh, yeah, it's healthy to, to be where we are. You made some joke somewhere about how, you know, there's going to be a lot of words that in the future will be cancelable. Uh, do you know what they are? I mean, you've used a no. couple. <laughs> no, that, that, again, that, that again, that that is uh, HR manager John Dorth. That is a character. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've got to <laughs> be careful. I've got, I've got to change the name of, uh, i I got to give my television personas a different name than mine. So that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but there's a grand there's a grand tradition of real life people, actors and uh, comedians appearing in shows as themselves, but as douches. That yeah. seems to be the default. So that's that's I understood that uh, when I saw you, um, John. You have you had a grand grand mal seizure and broke your neck. I did. That's funny. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's serious and it's out of the, but it's out of the ordinary. Uh, I'd imagine most people do not have, I don't know what the stats and numbers are. Uh, but yeah, I had a seizure. Um, I was, yeah, I'd gone a good 42 years of my life without one. Um, and yeah, I was playing poker with a bunch of friends and, uh, a game in Los Angeles, uh, with a bunch of writers who I didn't know that well, by the way. So that's, uh, that's weird too, to have a seizure in front of people you don't know well. Um, but yeah, I, I fell, fractured a bone in my neck, had a concussion, woke up in the hospital, had no idea what had just happened to me. Um, the funny part is the friends that uh, I was with, I got an email that said, um, uh, the good news is because I was in the hand and the, they, I, I remember, you know, uh, anyway, the, the, the email I got was the good news is you made a, you made a straight on the river. And so they kept my money for me. And they said, the bad news is you have a tell. <laughs> so every time I have a good, every time I have a good hand, I have a seizure. I guess so I fell. Uh, was it the only time? Was that an isolated incident? Okay, so here we go. So I had the seizure, and uh, very strange experience. If, for people who don't know, it's sudden abnormal electrical activity of your brain. Your brain just shuts off. You have no idea you have a seizure. Very intense, weird stuff. A seizure. Um, and so I woke up in the hospital, neck brace on for three months. They insisted I go on. Several EEGs later, they insist they found something on the left side of my brain called sharp waves. It's j- it just means it puts me in a category of people that have uh, a seventy percent chance of a seizure reoccurring. So they suggest going on this medication, and I, of course, the fool I am, I say no. I don't like the sound of these side effects. I'm not going on that medication. So I went to get a second opinion, and I was up in Canada. And I met with another neurologist, and that neurologist was leaning towards not taking the medication, but hadn't made a full diagnosis yet. I went back down to Los Angeles, had another seizure. I was on the phone with my manager, and I fell flat on my face again. And the next thing I know, I'm in an ambulance. So I went on the medication. So now I'm still on Capra with with anti-seizure medication. So uh, I'm very lucky in that. Um, yeah, nothing horrible happened. Cause I mean, if you're on a flight of stairs, when that happens or going down an escalator or who knows, um, but yeah, it, it can be the end of you. So I got very lucky and, uh, it took two seizures for me to take the medication and I've been seizure free now for a good five years. Feels great. <laughs> That's good. You have weird side effects though. You're, you, the drugs have led to weird side effects. They, well, I haven't noticed any, but, um, yeah, they say, you know, drowsiness, irritability, uh, but they say it's different with everybody. Um, and so my experience is that uh, I haven't noticed any of these things. But I don't know. Like, it's not It's not like, I, I don't know if I know myself well enough to know if my behavior has changed. So you'd have to ask the people around me. But don't talk to Christina. She'll lie. <laughs> Can you drink? Yes. Can I ever? <laughs> you should see me go. What's you- that? Right. Miller Light, we know what you drink. <laughs> Your Miller Light at ten a.m. Yes, oh, it's just the perfect drink. It's a perfect day drink because you can have a thousand of them, and you're hydrating um, at the same time. That's how I feel about. Yeah, those. but I don't drink that much anymore. I mean, I, I've cut out everything except for beer and mostly light beer. But uh, I rarely have a beer when I'm back home uh, with the family. My girlfriend does not drink um, at all. She's in recovery. So I don't keep beer in the house. I'll just, uh, you know, maybe I'll keep a six pack in the garage and occasionally have one, but it's, that's rare. So, uh, you know, but when in Newfoundland. Oh yeah. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a national pastime there. So your life has changed dramatically. 
Sure. But whose hasn't? Yeah. No, yours is done geographically and uh, in terms of family, but you have a very tight group of friends, don't you? I mean, I, I, sure. I've got friends all over the place. I've got friends in Los Angeles, friends in Ottawa, friends in Toronto, um, you know, family in Ottawa. I have friends everywhere but Alaska. <laughs> so it's time to get out of there. Our plan is to move back to Canada. That's the hope and dream is to move the family to Canada and just start over again in Canada with like the warmth and security of family and friends and uh, you know, near Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, where I grew up, I just feel like it's a great community to raise a family. So that's the goal is to bring everyone to Canada. And Christina's good with that. Well, depends on the day. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Christina's never been to Canada um, really? because of a past criminal record. So it's hard for her to get into the country, which is something we're trying to have expunged. Um, it, my life is complicated at the moment. We've barely scratched the surface, by the way, but um, nothing's easy. <laughs> I can't easy. even imagine. <laughs> Nothing is easy right now. Like to bring the family to Canada can't be done at the moment, but uh, our immigration lawyer is doing great work and um, yeah, just another expense you got to pay for, but uh, yeah, doing great work and we're, yeah, that's the plan. Get the family to Canada. It may happen one day, may not. So you are a, a, a Canadian. I mean, I, uh, this is rather pathetic of, you know, we all have this obsession with the United States. So you lived in L.A., but now you're in Juneau. So is that why Canada's appealing? Like, like please tell us that you, you're, you're coming back because you love us truly. Well, that's, of course, why I want to come back. Yeah. Oh, no, I've, I, I miss and love Canada. I, my, a lot of my work still comes from Canada. And I enjoy, when I land in Canada from the United States, I, I immediately have a nice exhale and it feels good to be back home no matter where I am. But uh, specifically Ontario where I grew up uh, just feels like home. Yeah, no, that's why I want to bring the family back is because of family and friends. And uh, yeah, I love aspects of Canada. There's no, no more pennies, no more pennies in Canada. That's good. No more pennies. So come on back. Yeah. <laughs> or dimes or quarters. Tell us all the good stuff. I mean, you, you said we just scratched the surface. What's the deep, dark secret, John? <laughs> well, I just mean there's there's a lot of problems. Like it's it nothing's nothing's simple. Like nothing's. Hey, let's move to Canada. Okay, let's visit first, see if we like it. Well, we can't even do that because of this past criminal yeah. record. So that's where I mean everything's complicated. For instance, uh, uh, Emma, uh, who is Christina's stepdaughter. Um, or sorry, sorry, my stepdaughter, Christina. Christina's she's daughter, your stepdaughter. My, my stepdaughter. Um, you know, when I first moved to Juneau, her father was in the picture and moving Emma to Canada was going to be a problem because uh, we couldn't take her out of state uh, because the father is there. He, he was on a restraining order and it was difficult for him to have access. But when he was given access, uh, it's still something he has the right to say she can't leave the, the, the state. Um but that's no longer an issue. Okay. We won't go there, but this, but good. Yeah. yeah. Imagine. Yeah. So yeah, that's not a problem anymore. Good. Yeah. You can, um, you, you can guess as to why, but uh, yeah. we'll just leave that <laughs> hanging there. Yeah. Well, that's one obstacle out of the way. I know that you, uh, you are, you are brother to Alison Dorr, whom we've yes. had on the, uh, on the show and she adores you. And is, is it just the two of you as siblings? Yes. Yeah. We got uh, Dave Dorr and Sharon Dorr are the parents and uh, the kids are John Dorr and Allison Dorr. Well, good for Dave and Sharon. Are you, so <laughs> are you a funny family? 
Um, yeah, I yeah. think so. I mean, we're dysfunctional for sure. sure. Um, very strange. Like, yeah, I think we're an odd bunch, but uh, a great bunch. My uh, my parents are amazing. They're wonderful people. My mom was a nurse. My dad was a teacher. Uh, both retired now. So, uh, you know, two uh, noble noble people doing great work. Um, yeah, and they raised two latchkey kids, John Dorr and Allison Dorr. I used to take her on the bus. I had no choice. I had to take her on the bus after school so I couldn't hang out with my friends. So a lot of resentment there. But uh, yeah, our joke was our joke. I mean, we were always just being silly. Alice and I would always try and make our parents laugh or make make each other laugh. Um, so yeah, I think we're a funny bunch, um, but we're strange. We're very odd. I know what you're talking about. There are four siblings in my family, and highly dysfunctional. And also, you know, one day I'll write a book, or I won't. I don't know. But the thing that kept us keeps us together is humor. Um, we can all make you, or my parents are gone, but we can all make each other laugh even when we're, you know, really mad at each other. Yeah. And that's, that's, a, that's the one it's a, it's a tool to get along with the world, but also within your own fractious situation. And I really hope for your sake and for Christina and Emma and who's the baby Jackson Jackson. I hope you all reunite with your family because uh, it sounds like it'd be a wonderful thing. Yeah, I think it would be a really beautiful thing to have that family in Canada. So, uh, yeah, agreed. It was wonderful to hear Allison say, because I, I think everybody's sort of worried or wondering what on earth is going to happen to comedy. It's supposed to be free speech, it's supposed to be defensive, and yet, can it really be? And Allison was saying, no, with social media, it's great because you get, like, you get this social, you get feedback. So you know if something's not funny. Um, and, and you sound kind of positive, other than you know, the jokes and the fights with Christina in the kitchen about what's funny and what's not funny. You sound positive about, I don't know, the future of comedy. I, I suppose. I mean, I, maybe I can't be any other way. I mean, it's all I do. I can't imagine really speaking negatively about it. But I honestly have not really noticed. Yeah, a ch I haven't noticed a change that is that big um, or a shift in the audience's thinking. Uh, that may change from, you know, maybe different age groups feel differently. If you had a, a lopsided group of younger people, maybe that would be different. But I don't think so. I think it's how you talk about things. It's how you point them out. I haven't run into a problem uh, yet personally, but who knows? Uh, maybe it gets out to a certain group of people and then, you know, there's a huge swell of frustration amongst a, a mob of people that want to have you whatever canceled means. Um, but I haven't noticed it yet. I think uh, it's how you talk about things. And it's so wonderful to feel the pressure of being challenged to to do something. What are you working on now? Well, working on this Miller Lite. And it is uh, it is delicious. <laughs> Not Newfoundland. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, working on a few things. So season two of The Lake, uh, which is a show that uh, airs on uh, Prime Video, Amazon Prime. We shoot it in North Bay. Uh, we did season one, uh, and we just wrapped season two last summer. That comes out June 9th on Amazon Prime. So very excited about that. Um, and who knows, maybe season three is uh, in the pipe, but I have no idea. Um, pipeline. And um, working on a couple of show ideas. Um, traveling, I've recorded a second album, which I'm going to put out with Howl and Roar, my sister's comedy label. Um, and then I have a couple of ideas, some uh, television show outlines that I'm working on at, uh, at the moment. And one of them is all about my life in Alaska and Christina and Emma and Jackson and me. And um, 
a fish out of water story of how a comedian moves from Los Angeles and lives in Juneau, Alaska. So that's the the big the big one I'm working on right now. But that's about it. That's the Northern Exposure revisited in some ways, but it is uh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Curb your enthusiasm meets Northern Exposure with a a hint of uh, genuine sincerity and uh, and uh, teary eyed moments. Yeah, heartwarming. Yeah, <laughs> at the end of the day, and why shouldn't it be? Well, I think that's who you are. That's that's how I found you. And it's fascinating because I've actually been to Juno. I went I went to Juno to do a story about some weird aerial installation that the U.S. government had put in in the bush in Juno. And uh, oh wow, yeah. Uh, so I don't know whether it's still there, but it's, it was called Harp, and it was hidden in the bush in Juno. And I went up there because there was all of these conspiracy theories about mind control and weather control. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and then I went to interview somebody at DARPA about it, and he was like, "Yep." Don't know. Yeah, good story. <laughs> so I don't think it exists anymore, but it's it's going to be, will it be hard to leave Juno? I mean, Canada is amazing, obviously, but will it be hard? No. There? No. No, not for me. Not at all. <laughs> it is like, I, I am so, I, I've imagined my life back in Ontario. I cannot wait. I, I really want to be back in Canada. And it all has to do with my son, Jackson. And I can see how beautiful the world would be. Christina's, um, my girlfriend's also a uh, fiance is also uh, an indigenous native Alaskan woman. Um, and there's so much work and I think she would really enjoy, um, you know, with all the grants going to truth and reconciliation projects in Canada and the uh, Ottawa is the perfect place to be. Um, I think her work transfers and she can always do work in Alaska, but simultaneously there's so much great work that needs to be done in Canada. I just think it's the perfect time for the family to move. Will I miss Alaska? Absolutely not. Will Christina miss it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's just more more things for us to argue about. And really, what is a relationship other than that? That's what it's all about. <laughs> well, come to Ottawa and argue there. Uh, we wish you all the luck in the world. We'd love to have you all back. And congratulations on uh, on on your Juno and like the the award <laughs> as opposed to your home. And uh, good luck with everything. Thank you. This has been great. Wendy, Maureen, thank you. Uh, it's been lovely to talk to you. We really, I wish we could see your face, but there's just this big thing. Is it really, it's a, like, you're, you know, you're cute as hell. That's a real downer. I know. I'm, I'm annoyed because I'm watching the two of you. And yeah, I wish you could see my face as well. I say that the most. <laughs> we'll look for it elsewhere. Thanks again, John. Thank, thank you. Well, John Doerr is just the loveliest man. I know we say this about all our guests, and I don't know why we're surprised every time. We always come up going, well, they were lovely. <laughs> yeah, I'm still, I hate to say it. I was. I wanted to ask him, but I thought, oh, no, it's just too awkward about the restraining order yeah. on the husband. But I guess, who cares? We don't need to answer. That's the, the journalist in me who needs to put a, a, a stop on all that. But yeah, he was, he's going to move back here, which it sounds pathetic to say, John, are you still a Canadian? But he's still so, so very much, much a Canadian. And you know that a lot of Canadians, you know, the tall poppies, no, not, not the tall poppies. That's when you take down somebody uh, in Canada because they're successful. But the, the ap- apologetic Canadian, you know, well, I'm from Canada, but really where it's about is Los Angeles or New York, especially if you're in comedy or show business. He's got the opposite. It's like Ottawa is where he wants to be. Now, I've lived in Ottawa. You've been to Ottawa. It's not my idea of, you know, good time. You know, it's not. It's beautiful, but. Yeah. Well, at it's amazing, and you're close to the ski hills. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I think all I did was have uh, dinner parties. But yeah. uh, 
and I can't cook. So you can imagine how horrible they were, but I think they're going, I think they're going to have, I think they're going to have fun. And I think it's a great place for her. If she cares about bringing people together and trying to make the world a better place, which is her thing, um, should be everybody's thing. I, I think, yeah. So I hope they, I hope they get through. So that would be, uh, that would be great. Funny and worthy people. There's no better combination. So anyway, Women of Ill Repute was written and produced by Maureen Holloway and Wendy Mesley with the help from the team at the Sound Off Media Company and producer Yet Belgraver. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon.